I'd like to invite you to stand with me this morning and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 43, Isaiah chapter 43, and also be ready to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, Isaiah 43, and then be ready to go to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to spend the next few weeks here in Isaiah 43 in the morning, Sunday mornings, and I'm going to kind of give the, the, the general overview of the theme and the thrust of the theme, and then over the next couple of weeks, we're going to kind of drill into this passage and, and really emphasize different aspects of it. And, you know, you know when, when we talk about a theme of Vision Sunday, you know, you can approach it many different ways. I mean, you could just kind of come up with something that sounds good, and that's really not how our church is approaching this. Uh, several months ago, we just began to seek the Lord and, and personally spent a lot of time just asking God, you know, where are we as a church? And, and, and obviously, God, I know there's going to be things in 2022 we can't put on a calendar. There's things that we can't plan. But what is the thrust? What is the emphasis? What is it? that we should be seeking, looking for, what should the heart of our church be? And without a doubt, the Lord just really impressed upon me Isaiah 43, 19 and, and the emphasis of this passage and going to try, uh, with the Lord's help, to, to, to try to communicate to you what has been in my heart and the staff's heart for many months and so we're going to begin reading in Isaiah 43, beginning in verse 15. We're going to look at throughout the next few weeks. We're going to cover this chapter. But I just want to emphasize the main point this morning. Isaiah 43, verse 15. The Bible says this, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Isn't that a good verse right there? Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea, and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together, and they shall not rise. They are extinct. They are quenched as a towel. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. That's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, and ye shall, and, and shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I want to preach with God's help, God's grace this morning on this subject, very simply, new streams. New streams. Let's pray. Father, I need you in this moment. And, and Father, it's so difficult to articulate in a few moments something that, that you have been impressing upon my own heart for months. And I pray, God, that you would, that you would help us to be of one mind and of one accord and and Father, that we would not see what Pastor David or the staff is communicating, but what your word in your heart to your people is for this time. Bless your word, we pray in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, thank you. You may be seated. 
I like to read. Matter of fact, the bulk of my reading outside of Scripture would be biographies and you know more historical types of books. You learn a lot about history, and by learning a lot about history, you learn a lot about today and how people behave. And typically, whenever you start a biography, it always takes you back. Very rarely does a biography take you to the end of their life. It takes you back to their birth. It takes you back to their beginnings. It, be, it tells you the story of who they were and where they were from and how they came to be that particular individual. Typically, you read biographies of great men and great women. And so you go back to find out what put them in that position of greatness. In Isaiah chapter 43 we are reminded that the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, are indeed a great people and they are a nation that, that is like a great figure in history. They are a great nation in human history, the greatest nation in human history. And in verse 1 of chapter 43, God takes us back to the beginning of the biography and He reminds them and He reminds us of their history. He reminds us of the story of Israel. And he says, But now, in verse 1, Thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. God comes to Israel and he takes them back and he reminds them of their story, of their history before they became the nation that they are, God called them. When it was just Abraham, in Ur of the Chaldees, there was no 12 tribes, there was no nation, there was just a young man named Abraham and God came to him and God called him and said that he would take him and that through him, through his children, through his sons and his daughters would come a mighty nation. And the Bible tells us in Romans that he believed God, that he was called and he believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. God called the people of Israel, but he didn't just call, he formed them. Of course, Abraham eventually, after a very prolonged period of time, course has Isaac and then comes Jacob and through Jacob comes the 12 tribes the 12 sons of Jacob and we read through the book of Genesis about how God takes starting from one man Abraham and through one son Isaac and then the son Jacob and then through him comes the 12 sons. We read about how God, when they were just a small family, how God began to multiply them and how he put Joseph up into second in command over Egypt. And there in the land of Egypt, the Bible says that God flourished. He multiplied the children of Israel until they were so large that Pharaoh saw Israel as a threat. God took them when they were nothing. God took them when they were just one person and formed them and made them into a nation. And then, then he delivered them as he formed them, as he multiplied them. He says in verse 3, For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom. 
We remember the story how Pharaoh looked upon these Israelites that were multiplying and growing and gaining strength. And here is the most powerful man of the most powerful nation in the world. And he's saying to himself, if we don't stop them, if we don't subdue them, they will overcome us. And so he takes Israel and puts them in severe bondage. Begins to kill every firstborn son to control the population. Begins to starve the men and work them excessive hours to weaken the people. And he, and he has them in such a state of bondage that the Bible says that they begin to cry out. Understanding they couldn't release themselves. Understanding that they couldn't free themselves. They cried out to God and God delivered them through the man Moses. He gave Egypt unto them and freed them from the bondage of Egypt. And then perhaps my favorite part about the history is the end of verse 1. He says, thou art mine. He, he, he called them. He built them. He separated them, redeemed them. And then he said this, and now you are mine. He gave them the tabernacle. He gave them the priests and they would come and they would offer worship to him and he would lead them by a pillar of cloud. We read it in the psalm. He would read them by a pillar of cloud by day and by a pillar of fire by night. And he, the Lord Almighty, would rest upon them as they traveled through the wilderness. He was their God. He met Moses in the mount and gave him his commands and said, I want you to know me and to follow me. And here is what I demand of you. And the children of Israel were not just their own people. They were God's chosen people separated unto him. Can I say this? That the history of Israel stands out as no other nation's history could stand. No other nation could say God called us. No other nation could say God formed us. No other nation could say God redeemed us. And no other nation could say God made us his. They had a sacred and special and, and superior history to any other nation that has ever existed on the planet. But can I remind you as we hold our place here in Isaiah 43 and we go over to Ephesians 2. Can I remind you that we have a great history? If you are a believer in Christ, if you are a Christian, you have a biography. We as a church, we have a biography. And I just want to stop and remind us for a minute of the great history that has already been penned for you and me and for our church as believers. Notice verse 11. The Bible says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Aliens. Strangers. The, the word literally means outsider or foreigner. You know, this last week I went over to the Department of Immigration and and uh, took a took, and I got out of the took and, and was texting or doing something, so I wasn't really paying attention. And when I got to kind of where the fence was, I looked up, and I, I had to take a step back and say, what is going on here? 
the line which normally is inside of the, you know, kind of inside of the area outside is normally just a couple little lines. The line was not only going through that, but it was out on the street and wrapping around the street. And I saw the line and then I noticed that there were people sitting all over the place in the grass on the backside and on the other side. I'm talking about hundreds and hundreds of people. And I'm looking around and I'm saying, what is going on here that I didn't read about in the news? And, and I'm saying to myself, this is going to be a very long day today. And so I asked this young man, I'm like, what's going on? He says, all these people are here for passports. All of them. And here I see all these people, get it, I see all these people standing outside the building. Sitting in the grass, waiting, hoping to get inside so they can get access to where they want to go. Can I just tell you that's your life and my life before salvation. We're outsiders. God is the inside. God is the one with the access and the power. And we're sitting outside in the blazing hot sun in an incredibly long line. And we're all gathered together as humanity. And we're just out there in the sun. No refreshment. No tambourine being passed around. Not sure we're going to make it inside. Not sure what's going on. We're just sitting out here hoping to get in. Hoping our token might be called. Hoping that we might meet someone or find someone who can sneak us in the back way or something. We are all just in a mass together on the outside. No God, no hope, no promises, no peace. Outside, looking in. Sitting there. Completely on the outside. But then verse 8 happened. If you're a Christian, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Hey, not of works. Lest any man shall boast. But then someone came along and introduced to you the way in. Someone came along and, and showed you how to get in to the door. I, I got in the line and I was texting my wife and I was saying, I'll see you tomorrow because I'm going to be here a while. Tomorrow's poya, so I can't push this off to tomorrow. So I'm going to see you tomorrow and I'm going to be a very tan individual by the end of this deal. And someone looked over at me and was like, what are you doing in this line? And I'm like, well, I'm in line. He's like, are you here for a passport? I'm like, well, I'm here to collect my, here to get my visa. He says, no, you're in the wrong line. And he takes me to the other side of the building and there's no line. And I just walk right in. Hey, that's what happened with the gospel. Somewhere along the line, someone came to you and said, what are you doing? Why are you praying all this? Why, why are you trying to, you know, earn your way up the ladder? Why are you going through all this religion and through all this exercise? Why are you putting your hope in finances and putting your hope in academics? Can I show you the way in? And you don't even have to pay anyone. You don't even have to work. All you got to do is know where to go. And the person to go through is Jesus Christ because he shed his blood for you. He paid for your sin, which is why you're out here to begin with. And if you simply by faith believe in what he did for for you, you have through his blood entrance into the building and access to the throne of God. The day that you got saved, someone took the scripture and said, let me show you the door. Let me help you come on in today and get out of the sun and get out of the discomfort and get out of all the religion. And let me take you into a place called grace. 
Remember that day in your biography where you pray? No, when were you saved? Well, I was baptized. No, 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 I said, when were you saved? Well, I had, I saw, I had this opening of my eyes. No, that's not what I said. I said, when were you saved? When did you call upon the name of the Lord? When did you understand that you had a one-time transaction that you needed to call upon him and receive him for your forgiveness? Do you have that in your biography? Because if you do, that was the day someone introduced you to the door and you got in. In verse 1 of chapter 2, you were redeemed, and you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. No, you had a Pharaoh over you, and you were too weak to overcome, and you were too weak to, to overpower him. His name was Sin. You know, you might have tried and you might have prayed and you might have motivated yourself and you might have had little spurts where you were really nice to your brother or you might have had some nice spurts where you didn't lose your temper. But inevitably, the old man rises up, the sin nature rises up and you would find this, you are dead. Meaning this, you have no life, no power to override sin. Sin completely dominated you. But just like God in the story brought Israel out of Egypt by the washing of the blood of Jesus Christ. He brought you up out of sin, from death in sin to life and a relationship with Jesus Christ. And just, I love this, and just as, and just as he said to Israel, you are mine, notice verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off, I love these next, these next few words, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You are made close. You are given access. You know, uh, I was scared about that line because my visa expires on Friday, this last Friday. And I'm thinking, you don't really want to be in a country where you don't have a visa. You know why? Because you can't do anything if you don't have a visa. You're not allowed. You're not, you're not permitted. And so that day when I went and got through and got all my stuff done after some, you know, discussion and I got my visa and, and I walked out of there after checking it, making sure everything was right and accurate. And that's a whole, that'll, that story will be a sermon for another day. But after I walk out and I've got my visa, do you know what? I'm made nigh here. I can go where I need to go. I can do what I need to do. I have access. The day that you called upon Christ, you were given the visa with the Lord. That you could go to him anytime you want. You could talk to him anytime you want. He lives inside of you. He, he speaks to you. He's opened your eyes to his word. He guides you in your life. He works in your life. I love that phrase, you are made nigh. And just as God formed Israel, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Just like God took Abraham and eventually formed him into a mighty nation, when you got saved and I got saved, God took you and he formed you and he's forming you into the image of Christ. I was thinking about my daughter Naomi turned 18 this past week. We had a little deal for her, and, and there was a board that was made with pictures of Naomi, and I almost wanted to just bring it because she would have loved that. 
Because on the board it had pictures from her as a baby all the way to today. And, and when I look at that, I see the forming. I see, you know, the, you know, when you're little, you got the little pudgy, you know, child stuff going on. And then that starts to work away and you get tall and, and you get friends. And I'm watching in my mind, I'm going through the stages of the forming of her life, that who she is today. And every one of us who are Christians, we have a forming board. We started off as the, the baby new believer with the pudgy little cheeks, and, and we didn't really know what we were doing. Everyone's just kind of feeding us, and everyone's just kind of helping us, and we develop, and we begin to grow. And, and, and we look at who we are today, and who we are today is not who we were when we started because God formed you. He changed you. You used to speak certain words. You don't speak them anymore. You used to fight with your spouse. You don't fight with your spouse anymore. You used to have some particular struggles. You don't have, now you may fight with your spouse, but not like you used to fight. And you, you, you don't have the same struggles that you used to have. He's formed in you. Every believer here, you have a, you have a sacred history with God. And Isaiah 43 says it so good. You can go back there because we're going to go back there. He has called you. He has formed you. He has redeemed you. And he has made you mine. Oh, wait, wait. No, no, no. Go back to Ephesians 2. I'm sorry. <laughs> Ephesians 2. Then we'll go back. But not just us as individuals. Not just us as individuals have history. Verse 19 now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the notice household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye, plural, also are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. In other words, Paul says, hey, let me take you back to the history of the churches. It started with Jesus who plants the first church and he lays it down with the apostles and they have the first church of Jerusalem and then out of Jerusalem is a church in Antioch and out of Antioch comes all these churches and somewhere along the line he's saying, you Ephesus, you were a church that came out of all those churches and you came together as a collective and God is growing you and building you and making you this holy temple unto the Lord. To Ephesus, you used to worship Diana. You used to have the silver shrines and you used to be involved in witchcraft and you got rid of all that. You melted it all down and now you're coming together. Get it? Not to the temple of Diana, but you are the temple of the Holy Ghost in purity and God is building you as a church into what you need to be. You know, every church has its own history. Can I just say this? Every church that's of the Lord is a miracle. They're all miracles. And they all have an incredible history. We know this morning, Colombo Bible Baptist Church has a great history. We're not going to do it right now. We did this on anniversary. We could go all the way back and we could go to the beginning and we could talk about Pastor Terry and, and Myra and all that the Lord did and some of you that were there at the very beginning and a part and, of course, the first wedding and the first members and the first house and then the second house. And, 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 but, but look past all that and see this. Here's what God did. God took a bunch of individuals and he brought you together 
and he formed things in you and made something in you that wasn't there before. And through this church came souls and new members and people that serve the Lord and church planners, you know, national pastors, and all the various things, this church can go back and say, I, look, I could point to the day that God called us and made us a church, and then we can look at how God formed us and how, you know, this person was doing this ministry. And I love that very first year we had the wall of all the pictures and, 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 and looking back at some of you when you had your mustaches and different things. But anyway, and all those different things going on and we could go through the forming of the different services and ministries and song leaders and people preaching and, and all of that. You know what that is? That's a sacred, wonderful history of the Lord. Amen. Now go back to Isaiah 43. But the story does hit a bump. The story does hit a bump. Verse 6 of Isaiah 43. Of Isaiah 43. I will say to the north. The north. Is he just talking to the north? No, no, no. He's talking to verse 14. Thus saith the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel... For your sakes I have sent unto, notice Babylon. He's talking to Babylon. We come further on in the history of Israel, and guess where we land? We land in Babylon, in the north, from Israel, the land of the north. And we find the children of Israel are living there in the north, and they find themselves in captivity. Won't go over all that history, but essentially, after generations of kings disobeying God, and the person of Nebuchadnezzar comes to the south, takes Jerusalem, takes the children of Israel, the people of Judah actually, takes the people of Judah, brings them to Babylon. And by the time we come to Isaiah 43, a whole generation, I'm going to preach on this later, a whole generation has grown up under this bondage. And here's the key phrase that I want you to see that's describing the point of this. Verse 6, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not Back, bring my sons from far. See that phrase, keep not back. What do you mean keep not back? Here's the picture. God had a plan for Israel. Do you know where God's plan was? For them to be in Israel. For them to be in Canaan land. God wanted them there, multiplying through Canaan and building their generations there and continuing to build their worship. And God had a plan that they had a whole area of land to themselves and they were to be a holy people and a blessed people that would shine as a light to a dark world. But guess what? Babylon's in the way keeping them back. They're not, they're not in Canaan. They're not moving forward. They're not building up their, their promised land. They're in Babylon, not moving forward. They're kept back. They need to get to their promised land, fill up their promised land, so they can be the mighty nation that brings the glory to God that he desires. You know, all of us have Canaan as Christians. To be like Christ. That's your Canaan. 
your Canaan, your promised land on the earth is to be like Jesus Christ. That is what the goal is. That is the boundary. That is the imagery. That's the map. God wants you to be fully like the person of Christ. And we get saved and, and our history begins and our life begins. And, and here's the thing. Rarely does it just go on and on and on. Continual growth, 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 growth forever. Somewhere along the line, there's a keeping back point. Somewhere along the line, we kind of settle in. I'm not saying we get backslidden. I'm not saying that necessarily we're overridden by slavery or bondage. I'm just saying this. We come to a place where there's more to do, more, further to go, or more change to be made, more spiritual growth to happen. And somewhere along the line, we just kind of settle in. And the two words that jump out is we are kept back. Could be a sin could be a particular environment that we're in. We've just kind of settled in and adapted to it. Could be, a, in our mind, a lack of opportunity or a lack of skill. Could be a lack of wisdom on what to do at this point in our life. Could just be where we don't really know what to do next in our Christian life. I mean, it could be a whole variety of things. But oftentimes, somewhere in the journey, who we are as a Christian, we kind of settle into that. And we kind of come into this keep kept backstage where there's not more continual growth in our life. That can happen to a church. It actually happens to all churches at different stages at some point. You know, one of the things that when Pastor Terry talked to me about taking the church, I mean, one of the things that I had to really, you know, my immediate response wasn't like, sure, yeah, let's do this. It was like, I need to pray about this. Because I understand the history. I understand what the Lord has done. Great story. But you know, God's not done with CBBC. God's not done with CBBC. Last time I checked, not everybody in Colombo is saved. Last time I checked, not everybody in Hospital Road is saved. Last time I checked, I walked through the districts. I didn't see just conversion everywhere. We have people in our church who need to serve and get involved and do more. God wants to take this church and reach more. Are you all with me this morning? Am I the only person believing in more people needing to be saved this morning? Because God wants to save a lot more people in this city and in this country. We have more churches that need to be planted, more nationals that need to be sent, more families that need to come, more children that need to be raised in this church. We, we have so much more to do for the glory of God. But you know what happens in a church's life? It could, be, it, could be, it, could be, it could be contributed by many factors. It could be contributed by the size of a building. It could be contributed to just the joy of a church and the spirit of a church. It could be many factors, but oftentimes a church will settle in. And they're kind of kept back. What do you mean kept back? I don't mean like they don't have church. I don't mean that people don't get saved. I don't mean that everything's a mess. I just mean this. They're not moving forward like God would have them move forward. And here's, and it's even deeper than that. The heart of the people aren't to move forward like it should be. Baptism Sundays will become less frequent. Not as many guests, not as many people being led to the Lord on the veranda. Not as many people talking about something big. For the Lord. 
just a lot of butter cake. The law the same. The law the same. I think that you just, without you know, dissecting it and trying to sound negative, I think at the same time it's important to be realistic and to understand that our church our church is somewhat in a stuck situation. There's a number range of kind of where our attendance goes. There's kind of just a general feel of the core, who we are. And it's good, not diminishing that. But God's not done with our church. And there's more that he wants to do. And our church needs to, I want to say this, we need to recognize this this morning. To a degree, we're kept back right now. We are not moving forward as we should be as a church. Now, here's what I want you to see. So Israel's in this position, but look at verse 18. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Now, this is an interesting verse because doesn't God talk a lot about remembering the old things and considering things old? But here he tells them, don't do that. Here's why. Because of the manner in which they were doing it. Here's what they were doing. They're in bondage. They're not in the land of Canaan. But if you read Isaiah, they've built some houses and they've got some gardens. And so they've, they've had a whole generation growing up in Babylon. Babylon's not being cruel to them. Babylon's not being harsh to them. So they're fairly comfortable. And here's what they've got. Now get it. But here's what they do have. Man, we've got an awesome story. I mean, we're, we're the children of Israel. We got Abraham and Isaac and Jacob we are, we are the children of God. We have, we have the Red Sea. Who else has the Red Sea? And they would talk about the days of old and, and, and they would relive the days of old over and over and over and over again. And, and they would pray and they would find joy and they would find fulfillment in the fact that, this, in, that they had that history and they had that story. And they relived it and they loved it and that get it and their history made them content in their bondage. It's kind of like we've got young people right now finishing up their A-levels, been praying for them, some of them coming up to the very end. We've got exams going on. And I imagine, you know, someone in our church finishing their A-levels and then moving on to university. And they go into university, and it's really tough. Professor's tough. Classes are tough. They're like, man, I don't think I want to do this anymore. So they just kind of stop doing their work. And they just show up at... Colombo, and they're just talking to Colombo University. They're just like, hey, yeah. And they just talk about their A-levels all the time. Hey, you know what great? You know what my marks were? And, they, like, everyone's talking about, like, the next coming exam, the assessment in the college, but this guy or this girl, they're living in the A-levels. Like, well, yeah, whatever to that. Let me tell you about, did I tell you about my A-levels? That was Israel. Israel had gone through their A-levels. They had been brought out of the Red Sea. They had completed an amazing journey. But the problem was they had come to Babylon, and Babylon was tough, and Babylon was hard. And rather than pursuing and continuing through the assessments, and rather than continuing on the journey that God had for them, they just decided to talk about their A-levels for the rest of their life and just be happy and celebrate that they finished their A-levels. 
You know, a lot of Christians are like that. A lot of Christians come to a place where they're afraid. They don't think they can go further. They don't think that they can develop more. They don't think that they can necessarily be Bible readers, Bible readers or soul winners or serve in the Lord or do anything great in the church. And so they see kind of this whole Christian range that they don't think that they can make it to. So what do they do? I mean, they, well, they just talk about the A-levels. They just talk about the good old days and how they got saved. And, they, and that's good, but they're living on their A-levels and God's saying, I have an assessment that I want you to get through. You know, churches can do that. Churches get into remembering the things of old. They come to a place where it's like, man, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be difficult to do this. It's going to be hard to do this. I mean, we got to this stage, but to move to that stage is going to require dedication and faith and risk and, and some attempts at some things. And, and sometimes the churches get to a place where they don't really want to do that. It's a little too difficult. That assessment is too hard. So what do they do? They just sit around on the veranda all day and talk about the A-levels. I'm not saying we're doing that. I'm just saying churches do that. And we come to a stopping point in our church. Hey, our salvation story is amazing. Our church story is amazing. But we're not supposed to just live there for the rest of our life. So God comes into Israel in this state. And notice what he says in verse 19. Behold. That means pay attention. Notice this. That word behold is supposed to grab and seize your attention. He says, Israel, wake up and see this. What? I will do a new thing. New. Lately made. Produced or come into being recently. Modern. Not ancient. This, this is the definition right off the internet. That has lately appeared for the first time. God, I'm coming. I want to do something new. Not ancient. Modern, not liberal, modern, meaning in your time. That is going to appear for the first time. What is this new thing? He's going to bring, can I say this way? A new exodus. A new exodus. Okay, let's remember the old exodus first, verse 15. I am the Lord, your holy one, the creator of Israel, your king. Thus saith the Lord, notice the phrase, which maketh a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power, and they shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinct. They are quenched as tell. God says, you remember the old exodus? The old exodus, I brought you out of Egypt and I brought you to the water, the Red Sea, and there was no way you were cut off. And what did I do? I made a way. I opened up. I parted it. And you walked through on dry ground. And when you got across, the chariots and the horses of Pharaoh, they tried to follow you. And I closed it in. And I eliminated all of them. The Red Sea summarizes or is used to describe the old history of what God did. The old exodus, the Red Sea, when you say Red Sea, what he's talking about is God's old deliverance of them. And he says, now I'm going to bring a new exodus. Verse 6, I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. He says, I'm going to come to Babylon and I'm going to subdue the most powerful nation just like Egypt. 
I'm going to subdue the most powerful nation and I'm going to tell them, give up my sons and daughters. Send them back to Canaan. And then notice verse 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. And it shall, notice the phrase, spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make key phrase, way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Okay, you got to get this. So God said in the old Exodus, I made a way in the water. This time I'm doing it differently. You see, when Israel would leave Babylon, they would have nothing between them and Jerusalem but desert. Dry, barren, deathly desert. And they know if they leave Babylon and try to make it to Jerusalem, they can't make it. They'll, they'll die. There's no water. And God says, I'm going to bring a new exodus where I'm going to bring you out of Babylon. And instead of making a way in the water, I'm going to make water in the way. You're going to be traveling and you're going to be going and you're going to be, you're going to be parched and you're going to be thirsty and you're going to have been following me and you're going to need my blessing. You're going to need my provision. Just like Moses stood at the Red Sea and needed a way, you're going to be standing in the desert and you're going to need water. And here's what he says, and I'm going to spring forth. I am going to bring waters, streams. I am going to bring river. A river is a large natural stream flowing into the sea. He says, I am going to, in the middle of your desert, when you need my blessing and my provision, I am going to spring forth waters that are going to refresh you. In the old Exodus, I made a way in the water. In the new Exodus, I will make a water in the way. I'm going to do a new thing. Now get this. And so when God spoke of the, the, the Red Sea, he was speaking of the old story. And when God is speaking of new streams, here's what he's speaking of. A new story. A new story. The new streams was an event that would summarize the entire exodus. Just like the Red Sea summarized the entire exodus. The new streams, the rivers summarize the entire exodus of a new deliverance. Behold, now I will do a new thing. Here's what God is saying. I have a new story. With new miracles. And new blessings. Something you've never seen. New provision. We've come to the biography of you, Israel, and we're like chapter 325, but we're about to write a whole other couple hundred chapters of entirely new miracles, of entirely new stories, of entirely new blessings. I'm bringing new streams, new stories, new miracles, because I am still your God, and I am still wanting to work. God didn't God wanted them to always get it. God wanted them to remember the past, but he didn't want them to live in the past. Because he had something new for them. God has new streams for us.
spend time with the Lord. COVID and all the challenges that we face. Our church went through. We, we had our challenges. Lord, what are, you, what are you trying to tell us? What are you trying from your word as your church that you're shepherding according to Revelation? You're leading us. You are the one in, the, in this candlestick. What are you trying to say? And here's what the word of God and here's what God's trying to say. God is trying to say this. Man, I, I've done some great things in the Red Sea, but now I'm bringing a new stream. I am going to do a new story with new miracles and new blessings and new provision and new, sal- new souls and new members. And, and new. Me- I am going to do new Things in your church. I am not in his church. I am not done. I'm I'm, going to say that a few times and let it sit. I want this to sink into our church today. God is not done. He, He has new streams waiting for this church out there and in here. He has stories that he wants us to come together on a Sunday night and have testimonies and someone says something. He he has new pictures of new things that have never been done in the life of our church. He has that for this church. Statement. CBBC is seeking new streams in 2022. CBBC is seeking new streams in 2022. You know, I I have a history. I like my story. I like what God's done in my life. But I'd prefer not to live in that this year. I want to see God do something new. I love our church. I love our church. I love our fellowship. I love the fun we have. I love the, the, the spiritual nature of our church. I love our church. But I want to see God do something new in our church. I want to see miracles in the right way in our church. I want to be able to say, man, we got to get, we got to get out there in the ocean and get some baptisms out there. And Brother, look out for the crocodiles, please. CBBC is seeking new streams in 2022. Two things and we're done. Number one, before new streams, you need a Red Sea. Now, see, our church, we're, I'm talking about moving forward into new streams and, and, and the things that God has for us. But you can't, before you can come along with our church in that journey, you have to have a Red Sea experience. You have to have a time in your life where you understand that you are a sinner. You disobey God's word. You cannot complete, do, fully obey God's word. And because of that, you're sitting on the outside of God. And his judgment will come on you if you don't do something about that. The problem is you can't do anything about that. But Jesus did. And he died and he paid for your sin. And the Red Sea moment in your life is when you understand that it's not by works 
but that it's by the grace, it's the gift of God to you that is received by believing in what Jesus did for you. And on, in a moment, in a, in, a, in a real, literal point of time, you look to God or pray to God and you place your belief in Jesus and call upon him to forgive you of your sins. There are no red, there are no new streams coming until you've had a red sea where you have been brought out of your sin into new life and you have become a new creation in Jesus Christ. And if, if you've never had a Red Sea, that's where you need to start. You need to get that, those first few pages of the biography put down, the story of you and God. Number two, we need a unified desire for new streams. Hey, I mean, it's great if the pastor is excited about it. That's, that's nice. He should be. It's great if the staff, you know, we're all in the, coming together in the office and we're like, new streams, yeah, that's great. But it's not going to, listen to me, it's not going to be what it needs to be if we as a body are not together in belief and in heart. I'm not just talking about the trustees. I'm not just talking about Sunday school teachers. I'm talking about our members as a collective saying, thank God for the past. You know I thank God for the past. I love our past. I wouldn't be here if we didn't have a past. But I want to see something new. I want to see a miracle from the Lord. I want to see lives change. And go, can I stop? Whoa, whoa, whoa. In my life, you as a person, you as a Christian, not just as a church, not just souls, not just that. You, in your Christian life, say, I thank God for who I am. I'm thankful for the growth that I've had. But this year, I want to grow more. I want to see God do something new in my life. Change me in a particular way. Uh, equip me for a particular service. I want to see a new stream of God in my own life. That needs to be your heart. And then to come to the church, not, not, not to be critical, not like, well, pastor, what, what do you got new today? Not like that. Like, hey, I'm believing and we're seeking and we're looking to God in this desert in which we live in. And we need God to pour in his streams of power and blessing and favor on our church. But we're going to have to be unified in belief and desire. We need a unified desire for new streams. So this morning, we come into our new theme, and the, and the statement is very simple. CBBC is seeking new streams in 2022. Will you be part of it? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.